This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, Mark Fishkin, riding solo tonight, and I guess on a night, after a week where you guarantee an easy victory against an inferior opponent, and your team loses 2-0 at home, the first time New York has ever lost to the Philadelphia Union at home in seven tries, the first road win for Philadelphia, the first home loss for New York, Despite outshooting the opponent 15-7, to despite outpassing the opponent by more than 240 passes, despite possessing the ball two-thirds of the time, New York winds up on the wrong end of a 2 to nothing score for the first home loss of the season. Tonight on Seeing Red, I'll go through... What we can take away from this type of a loss for the New York Red Bulls, I'm going to chat with Brian Lewis of the New York Post, and then we'll get to some of your emails. It'll be an abbreviated seeing red, a week where, frankly, folks, and I'll say it again, there is there was absolutely no reason for New York to lose this game, except when you consider that New York was without its top three choices for center back. Obviously, we all know about Ronald Zubar's challenges that he's faced since his first uh, opening match 77-minute appearance. We know that Damian Perrinell, who's played so well for this team for, for the first part of the year and has really become the rock in central defense, picked up a knock during warm-ups and was scratched. And, of course, young Matt Miazga is away with the U-20s. And so when you're missing your first three choices at center back, where else can you turn? But in this case, to Roy Miller, who was making his first start in quite some time at a center back position that he's not accustomed to playing, next to Carl we met. New York, for the first hour, did exactly what New York has done. They possessed the ball. They had a lot of chances on goal. Felipe hit the post in the first half. Sasha Kleschen hit the post. Either of those balls go in. It's very, very hard to see New York coming away without any points in this match. But Kamar Lawrence uh, had a little hamstring trouble, right? He was replaced. Uh, Connor Lade came in and did his best. Had a really nice overlap in the first half. But as the second half wore on... Philadelphia played the perfect counterattacking game. They sat, and they clogged, and they deflected, and they blocked shot after shot after shot. Five of the 15 New York shots were blocked in this game. And they had two picture-perfect, maybe not picture-perfect, but they had two very well-executed counterattacks that went in for goals. And after the second goal, you really had... (laughs) the notion that that New York was done because five minutes apart in the second half, the Red Bulls were absolutely stunned, Uh, especially in the 62nd minute after Sapong simply (laughs) raced down the middle of the field and took that ball from uh, Fabinho to Christian Maidana right across goal for the tap-in. Roy Miller was seen on a replay uh, just jogging casually back completely lost Sapong, and nevertheless, that made it 2 nothing, and that was pretty much game over for the Red Bulls, even though there was almost a half an hour yet to play 
one really had the sense that that was really all that she was going to be able to write. Anatola Bong came in, had a couple of chances, but um, it's become pretty obvious that Jesse Marsh and his New York Red Bulls are going to have to get creative if they're going to figure out how to get better. Yes, it's very easy to say, well, if we get help at wing and we get help at center back and we get help uh, on the left side of the defense and we get help with the central attacking mid and we get help with another striker to play up top with Bradley, then everything will be uh, hunky-dory. And perhaps that's the fact. Perhaps that is, in fact, what's needed. Or, and I think Marsh and his team have come to realize that that they came really close to scoring twice in this game that would have made a massive impact and and in all likelihood would have changed the entire nature of the team, uh, changed the entire nature of the match. I'm not making excuses for the Red Bulls. They didn't execute and they lost at home. This this is certainly, without a doubt, I mean, when you think about the, the one other loss... Right in almost three months of the 2015 season for the Red Bulls. The one other loss was a very hard-fought loss at New England where New York had some really nice chances to tie the game. This was flat-out an embarrassment for New York because they were playing an inferior opponent. And yes, it certainly says a lot about MLS that anybody can beat anybody. And when you look around at some of the scores around MLS last last week, you'll see that none of uh, the top teams, the top, top teams, Won a game. Dallas lost on the road at Montreal. Uh, Vancouver lost on the road in Colorado. And Vancouver's uh, positioning as a top team has is, is certainly been precipitous at best. New England and D.C. tied. Uh, so there was a scoreless draw out in, C- uh, in Kansas City between this week's opponent, Seattle. So you really, in this league, you're going to have to come to play every single day. And New York unable to put the ball in the net early. And after that first goal, I think Red Bull fans were undone. It was kind of a fluky bounce, and it went through a big crowd into the net. New York sagged a little bit, and they sagged even more after the 62nd minute. And it's a shame for the 20,000-plus that were on hand at Red Bull Arena, uh, principally because this was a nice opportunity, holiday crowd, and a real chance to uh, win even more fans over. And New York just came out flat, especially after the goals, right? They, they, I don't want to say they shot their wad. They played their game that they played so well in the first half. Once again came close. Then came the counters. And uh, that was really it for them. So, again, a, a, a 0-2 loss. It was the first time, obviously, that New York lost at home. It was the first time uh, that New York lost by two goals at home. This, uh, excuse me, lost by two goals at all for the entire season. The team has now gone uh, two games plus without scoring, which is you can certainly understand against a team like Dallas. Against a team like Philadelphia, it really makes you scratch your head. Now here the Union, after shutting out D.C., have a nice scalp shutting out the Red Bulls. So once again, New York will have two more chances to gain revenge on this mat, uh, on this team, the Union. They play in Chester on August 1st, and then they have uh, an October home date. Uh, the home season finale, actually, is against the same Philadelphia Union. So if you're looking, talking about a bull or a cow, it's very, very hard to think about who the bull will be on a day when the team is unable to execute its game plan and break down 
a team that I, I said in my preview at EmpireSoccer.com that New York had better skill players at every position, and I still believe that to be the case. Philadelphia just executed better for the match, and they are the ones that uh, that stroll away with the victory. Uh, <laughs> Philadelphia had three shots all game. Two of them went in the net. The other was saved by uh, a fantastic save by, by Luis Robles. And when you think about Roy Miller coughing up the ball in his own half in the first half, for me, I guess you can argue that's the bull and the cow. It's Robles making the amazing save uh, on Philly, on Casey, and then it's it's Roy Miller who you know, pressed into action, playing a position he does not normally play, and got burnt and toasted, uh, was shaky all day. There have been some reports that he was, uh, in fact, played very well. I, I just I can't subscribe to that. Being beaten so often, especially slow getting back on the Sapon goal. So on the goal, so Luis Robles for one terrific save. Uh, the third one, you can argue the second one uh, for Philadelphia was not your fault. Uh, our bowl of the week, and then Roy Miller. We're, we're certainly uh, we would love to have a, a healthy left back competition where you can earn your spot back from Kamar Lawrence. And given the fact that Lawrence has got a little ding now, which is really unfortunate, especially. Uh, with Paranel picking up a similar, perhaps, hamstring uh, strain, you have to kind of wonder, is there the depth that we really need to see out of this Red Bull team? So, Roy Miller, to you, uh, Vaca for the match, you're our cow of the game. So, where does New York turn from here? New York has to now go out and play the Seattle Sounders, which is not an easy assignment, except... That Seattle will be playing, they have a double game week, they will be playing uh, their second match of the week, although both at home, they have Colorado on Wednesday, and then Sunday the 31st at 5 o'clock p.m., uh, New York will go out to Seattle, not necessarily a place that New York has had a ton of success this year. Seattle, yes, they were unable to score um, at home against Sporting KC this week, they are 3-1-1 one, one in their last five games. The only loss coming at Columbus in a very spirited 3-2 loss at Matfrist Stadium on May 9th. Uh, they have wins over Vancouver, over the Blue Meanies, and over Portland. And again, they have that, that, draw, that home draw against Sporting Kansas City. And when you're talking about the Seattle Sounders, you have to talk about their big two up front. Clint Dempsey dues seven goals and five assists so far on the young MLS season, and that's in only nine games. You have to think that uh, Dempsey is is on the shortlist so far of MLS MVP. Then, of course, uh, you can look to his line mate, and that's Obafemi Martins, only has six goals and two assists on the year. Of course, uh, supporting cast, Chad Barrett, 2-0, Lamar Nagel, who played so well last year for the Sounders, 2-0. Marco Papa, former Chicago Fire, has five assists, tied with Dempsey for the lead. You've got Andy Rose with two assists, Gonzalo Pineda and Tyrone Mears, each uh, chipping in assists for Seattle. So right now you've got a situation where Dempsey is second in the league in goals uh, behind K. Kamara and uh, third in the league in assists behind Benny Feilhaber. And when you talk about a makeshift New York defensive line, and you have to think that that's definitely the case when you have Paranel, who should be back, Kamar Lawrence, who should be back, 
you've got wondering, I guess it'll be We Met who's playing because Zubar is persona non grata until we hear otherwise. And then, of course, uh, we have Chris Duval on the right. This is going to be a real gut check for the New York Red Bulls going in uh, to uh, Sealing Field and trying to come up with some semblance of victory. As I had said, over the years, uh, it, the, <laughs> Seattle has not been kind to New York. Uh, although 3-3-3 three, three, and three, all-time in league play, they do have one win at Seattle all-time, and that was last year. That was kind of the surprising victory late in the season when New York was pushing to the playoffs. A 4-1 win. Bradley Wright Phillips had the hat trick last September. Um, I'm sorry, that I'm sorry, folks. That was the home win against the Sounders. Uh, that was the tremendous, tremendous uh, Bradley Wright Phillips hat trick. Big, big crowd, big win. Uh, Dempsey came in late. Martins came in late. Both of those players, they were dealing with uh, Open Cup matches. They had just played the U.S. Open Cup final earlier that week and then had gone to overtime. So a lot of the big players for Seattle sat out that match. That is not necessarily going to be the case. The one win that New York had in Seattle was Matt Kanji, a 1-0 win on April 3rd, 2010. Uh, Other than that, New York, uh, two losses and a draw in league history against Seattle. Given what we saw this past week, it's really going to be hard to come out and give a positive outlook as to what happened. And folks, let me say this. I have absolutely no issue going out there and putting myself out there and saying that that New York's going to win a home game against a bad opponent. Uh, And for all you fans, I know it's in jest to talk about the Fishkin curse, so we shouldn't have said that. We shouldn't have said there's there's no reason. Shouldn't have done that. This is, uh, I assure you, that there is absolutely nothing that this here show can do to affect uh, affect the psychic energy around the New York Red Bulls team. We like to think we're part of the quintessential Red Bull fan experience, mind you. But the notion that we can actually put the whammy on the Red Bulls is, uh, I think, specious at best. Nevertheless, I think New York continues their scoring woes. Maybe they get a goal. Maybe we'll call it a 2-1 loss out in Seattle. That certainly will smart and uh, will be a, bit, a little bit of a tailspin for New York. Then they go to Houston on Friday, and then we're going to have the U.S. Open Cup, by the way, right? The U.S. Open Cup is coming up for the Red Bulls Tuesday, June 16th. The Red Bulls will host either the Atlanta Silverbacks um, or uh, Chattanooga FC of the NPSL Tuesday, June 16th in the fourth round of the U.S. Open Cup. After those games, we get some Western Conference opponents coming into Red Bull Arena. We have a three-game week. Saturday, June 20th, home for Vancouver, which uh, New York has never beaten Vancouver. Then that Wednesday, right after, Salt Lake comes into town, and then that leads up to the first game in the uh, New York Derby in the Bronx. So definitely a tough stretch for the Red Bulls. A little bit of a gut check. It's going to be up to uh, Jesse Marsh to really evolve his team's thinking and the way they go about business because people have definitely figured out how to play them and you see it's it's going to be certainly a little bit of a frustrating time. So on Sunday though, it's, I think it's important to note that there will be an event um, in Brooklyn Bridge Park. There will be an away viewing party for the Seattle match. 
That's going to be, uh, I think, as early as 2 o'clock p.m. You can go out to Brooklyn Bridge Park. I, I've been to a number of these uh, viewing parties out there. They are truly spectacular. You get the whole setting sun uh, going down uh, behind, and it is, uh, it is really, really terrific. So if you are so inclined, head out to Brooklyn Bridge Park uh, to watch the Red Bulls at Seattle Sounders. That's 5 o'clock on Sunday. It's free to attend, and some of the Red Bulls who are not traveling usually go, so I urge you to check it out. When we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to speak to Brian Lewis of the New York Post. You're listening to Seeing Red at Backheel.com. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin flying solo tonight, although... Not really, because our guest tonight is longtime guest on the show, covers the New York Red Bulls, among other teams, for a little community paper called the New York Post, and that's Brian Lewis. How are you tonight, Brian? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Uh, fans Good. get to listen to a whole lot of me tonight, so I don't think they're doing so well. But um, very glad to have you on the show. Your piece today in the t- uh, it, your piece today um, in the New York Post is entitled "Why This Is Such a Crucial Time for the Red Bulls and Jesse Marsh." Why is it such a crucial time? Well, I, I think it's crucial because it's silly to have prejudged him. Uh, before the season started, just based on affection toward Mike Petty. And it was silly to try to judge a coach on his first two or three games or even four games. Uh, I think what's crucial about this is because we actually get a chance, those of us who don't live in Montreal or were watching Montreal when Jesse was coaching there, we actually get a chance now to see Jesse coach, to see him make adjustments, because it's pretty obvious that MLS has, to this point, adjusted to what the Red Bulls are doing, now we get to see him adjust back. Do you think that it's a fair assessment that he needs to uh, totally move and change his strategy when New York hits the post twice in the first half and are playing their fourth and fifth choice at uh, at center back? No, 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 no. I, I'm certainly not advocating uh, scrapping his system. Uh, and I'm certainly not saying that it hasn't been successful heretofore. Like I'm saying, I don't want to overreact based on five minutes or 45 minutes or one goal here and there. Um, I think what he's tried to do has worked for the most part to this point, but uh, there are ways to counter anything. So yeah. it's not necessarily scrapping what you're doing. It's making sure you strengthen the things that you have to do to augment what you do and supplement what you do. Because, frankly, people are going to clog the middle. They're going to bunker, and they're going to sit back and counter with whatever athletes they can put on the field because that's been shown to be successful. Well, this three-man triumvirate you have in central midfield has to prove then, not that you're scrapping them and selling them all off and replacing them, they have to prove then that they can find ways to operate in tight space. That's what they're going to have to figure ways to do because supposedly all these guys are capable of doing that, and that's why you put them together. So now they have to show that they can do that now for this team. We had Ali Curtis on the show last week, and he mentioned that uh, there may be 
players that the club is looking at for July 7th when the transfer window opens. Is there an area if you had one addition, uh, and it's it's really silly during silly season to throw names out because, the, you know, at a time when some teams in this league are apparently making bids at every possible aging superstar coming out of Europe this season. Um, where do you think the team needs the biggest upgrade that can make a, a difference, assuming they can sign a, a DP-quality player? Well, I think a DP-quality player is a separate question from where can they use upgrades. Uh, sure. I mean, so if you get a both. chance to have a, a, a singular talent, you try to get that singular talent. But there are a number of places where I think they could use help that won't require spending $6 million, sure. as you know, apparently Toronto and New York City FC spend on all of their players. There are ways to get improvements without that sort of investment. I think they're probably going to need another forward at some point. Not that I'm wishing ill on Bradley Wright Phillips, but it's probably unreasonable to expect that he won't miss a game from here to the end of the season. Sure. So they probably need another pure striker. Uh, I think they could use more depth out wide, especially with Zizzo being hurt. Now, granted, he's a little bit ahead of schedule, so I think he might be back earlier than expected. But still, uh, width is going to be an issue, and they probably could use yet more depth on defense. I would think if those are the three things that jump out at me, um, those are three areas where you'd like to think that they could probably improve without having to spend $6 million. Yes, well, and of course, they, there there are DPs to be had that don't cost $6 million. So, sure, uh, for absolutely. Sure. Um, we, you know, there was an interesting experiment that happened a number of weeks ago when... Uh, when young Matt Miazga was uh, was red carded, where you had Sasha f- moving all the way out uh, to the right side, and I'm kind of, uh, to the left side rather, and I'm curious if uh, you see Sasha on the left being a possible solution, assuming that they can get a uh, a front line complement to play with Bradley. If they signed again, what we're going back and talking about. Uh, an impact-level player who's suited to be in the middle. Yep. Um, a designated player caliber number 10. I think Jesse is more than comfortable putting Sasha out left, and I think Sasha is more than willing to play there. Uh, and we've seen that he's played there a lot over the course of his career. I don't know that that's where he's played his best, uh, but he's certainly more than capable of playing there. And if, if they got a central player that they think is going to be a difference maker for the team, absolutely, yes. I think I think they would be willing to play Sasha there, and he'd be more than happy to do whatever he has to do. Is Ronald Zubar ever going to play for this team again? Uh, eventually, yes. I, I someday, money, life <laughs> on the line, yes. I, I think he will play for the team, yes. Because this is we're approaching Brian Nielsen levels of uh, of bench time here. Yes, it, it has been unfortunate. Uh, I do think he's going to play, and I and I I do think he's trying. I mean, I, I don't want to. No, no, I don't. Like I think he's just taking money for nothing. For sure, uh, for sure. I think they've had some setbacks where there were a few issues that weren't clear and weren't diagnosed in the beginning, and I think they have tr- 
tried to be, they've tried to react to all of those and get him on the field where he's fit and healthy, as opposed to rushing somebody out there for 10 minutes and then having him get hurt again. Uh, but I do think he's going to suit up and play. Uh, I don't know whether he's ever going to be, quote, first choice again, um, because as you point out, Matt has played exceptionally well, uh, and Damien has played exceptionally well. But I do think I do think Zubar will have a role and will play a part before the end of the season, yes. If we're a third of the way through the season, seemingly in the blink of an eye, and I'm just curious, do you have a team MVP so far for the first 11 games? Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that I could pick a particular, a one singular team MVP, which is kind of... Is it what they would, I'm sure what, what they, they would go for, yes. Yeah, I think that's kind of in keeping with what they've been aiming for. I mean, there have been a number of players that probably have exceeded my expectations. Okay, um, can you name one? Well, I have to be honest. I think Damien has exceeded my expectations. I did not. I knew he was positionally a pretty sharp guy. Uh, yeah. I did not think he would play this well. Uh, I would say. I would say I always thought Matt had this kind of talent. I've always thought he's very gifted. I just wasn't sure how long it would take him to get to this level. And by the way, I think he has another level past this. Sure, I think the world of. I think he's very talented. Uh, I think he's probably hit this level faster than I expected. Uh, I would say probably those two, because I, I did expect Felipe to be at least this good, if not better. And I've seen Kamar play, and I think Kamar has a lot of ability. So yeah. I, I wouldn't say that those two have exceeded what I expected. I'd say those two have been about what I expected. And reports are out of camp today were that uh, odds are, at least from what Jesse's saying, that both Damian and Kamar will probably play against Seattle on Sunday. I think they're hopeful. He, he said that he would hope that that would be the case, but he did also acknowledge that we're early in the week. So he yep. says it's a little early for me to make any proclamations definitively one way or the other, uh, but both of them escaped anything that we call serious. Yep. So they're hopeful okay. that they'd be able to play it. Let's let's turn our attention to the Open Cup a little bit. Um, New York obviously does not have what many people would consider a sterling resume and record in this tournament. New York uh, Red Bulls will play on June 16th either Chattanooga SC, which actually played in the NPSL championship game against uh, the Red Bulls U23s last year at Red Bull Arena, or they'll play the Atlanta Silverbacks, which is kind of a lame duck NASL team that is, uh, I believe, owned by the league with MLS about to enter the uh, the, the market uh, with their soon-to-be-named team. So, uh, just curious, are, are you are you an Open Cup fan? Do you think that this is a tournament that is worthy of uh, fans' respect and attention? Do you think, I mean, Jesse is a guy that's won this tournament. Do you think that they'll be playing uh, first-line starters to win this thing? I'm curious, your thoughts, first of all, on the tournament as a whole, and then your thoughts on uh, what we might see from the Red Bulls. Yes, I'm a fan of the Open Cup. Uh, yes, I do think it, for lack of a better term, yes, deserves the fans' respect. 
unfortunately, because of roster limitations, I do understand why some regimes, not just past Red Bull regimes, but some regimes throughout MLS make business decisions on where they're going to put all of their resources and their manpower. Uh, what I would say is this. I do know, having played in it and won it, Jesse does take the tournament seriously. Uh, now, as we all know, there is a potential for conflict, depending on how they advance. Yep, yep. Um, and I do know that that probably was a sore topic when I broached that with Mr. Curtis in the past. And, and just to be clear, uh, should New York continue to advance, they, they would have a game, is it the night before the Red Bulls play Chelsea, I believe? Yes. In the International Champions Cup. Yes. Yep. Uh, for reference, uh, when I asked U.S. Soccer, I was told that U.S. Open Cup games can be rescheduled. There's a process. Both teams have to agree, for one. It has to be done in writing, and preferably it is to be done, I believe, you're taxing my memory, half of my brain cells are gone, <laughs> I think maybe three days prior to the earlier round. So in other okay. words, you'd have to put it in 72 hours before the previous round. Right, so the so the Red Bulls enter in the fourth round on June sixteenth. The fifth round is on June thirtieth, and the quarterfinal date is, I believe, July twenty first. So it's the uh, it's the fifth. So I guess soon after New York figures out if they if they get win their first cup match, right. they'll have to kind of get it in writing. Right now, uh, I've been led to believe by more than one person in the organization that they are taking this tournament seriously. We shall see. Um, the difference is, unlike, say, past Red Bull teams where when they played an international friendly, you knew that there were two players on the roster that had to play. If they were scheduling somebody and they had Thierry Henry and Rafa Marquez or they had Thierry Henry and Tim Cahill on the roster, you yep, knew those they... players had to play. And frankly, right. And frankly, the other team didn't care who else they put out on the court, on the field. Yep. Didn't care. Yep. Um, this team is not exactly that case. No offense to any of the players that they have. So we might actually see this team. If and I'm not promising that they will what they will try to reschedule if they are even fortunate enough to get to that point. Yes. But they've led me to believe that they're taking this tournament seriously and that they are going to field strong teams in the U.S. Open Cup, which is why you saw them not loan out a bunch of players, obviously. That's right. That was their, that was their take then, so they've at least been unanimous in this. Yeah. <laughs> and they've at least acted to this point like they're being serious about it. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. So let's close here. Uh, Brian, New York obviously is shell-shocked at home against an inferior opponent, frankly, that's Playing and played an almost perfect game plan to stymie them. New York, of course, hit the post a couple of times, which didn't help, and they wound up losing to Philly at home for the first time ever. Now they have to go, instead of playing a team at the bottom of the standings, they have to go play a team, frankly, at the top of the standings 
uh, at Seattle, where New York's only won one game previously. Uh, thoughts on what might go down Sunday afternoon in uh, at Sea Lane? For my money, that's the best team in this league right now. Now, obviously, yep. as you point out, we're in the early stages of the season. Injuries could take place. Uh, people can come into the league. People can be transferred out. But for my money right now, uh, and I've seen Seattle play live, they're the best team in this league to date. And as we know, that's a serious home field advantage that they have. So I, if you're asking me for a prediction, I don't yes, think that's that many Red Bull fans are going to be particularly happy <laughs> uh, five minutes after that game. Yes. Well, I, they, you know, we we predicted uh, nothing but wonderfulness after uh, Philly, and they I, they certainly were not feeling wonderful after that game. So I think having a, uh, a a loss hung on their trip to Seattle it would certainly not, I think, surprise too many people, especially after this week. Uh, you can read Brian Lewis every day in the New York Post talking about the New York Red Bulls and allegedly other teams as well. Brian, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Seeing Red. Always a pleasure. Your emails after this. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin flying solo. It's a, it's a solo show after I, this is my penance for actually predicting an easy victory for the New York Red Bulls and have it not come through. Uh, here's Peter Knox who writes, First time Philly got two goals in a match this season. First time Philly won on the road this season. First time Philly won at Red Bull Arena ever. Red Bulls go two games without a goal, except we held against Dallas. We couldn't against Philly. It's an inexcusable loss, and why soccer can be a true coin flip on any given Sunday. We move on. If I need a question, it's what's the positive takeaway that we can take from this? Sure isn't a holiday weekend attendance record. Peter, it took me just 40 minutes to travel on two trains from downtown Brooklyn to Red Bull Arena Knox. Yeah, I don't think we have to absolutely reinvent the team. I don't think this is a situation where the team is in dire straits. We had some defensive miscues, which, frankly, after the number of center backs that we have out, was bound to happen. The defense has not made a whole lot of mistakes this season. And when you're playing with your number four and number five center back on the depth chart, it's not going to be so easy for you. However, uh, the team obviously needs to find different ways to get chances to get Bradley the ball in good positions to score, and that's what they have to do. Here's Phil Armando, says, Guys, I'm cautiously optimistic about the 2015 Red Bulls. A truly solid start has managed to quell some of the nausea brought on by the tremors of a tumultuous offseason. I'm not even panicking after Red Bull's first ever home loss to the Worms on Sunday, but it's clear that Roy Miller, the ghost of Metro seasons past, must go, and as quickly as possible. What's the likelihood of that happening? Thanks for the great work you do to keep us Red supporters in you know, in the know. Phil Armando from Brooklyn, New York. I don't think Roy is gone. I don't believe that Roy has been named to the Gold Cup uh, roster for Costa Rica. I think it's a little soon for that. But nevertheless, Roy, Roy is here to stay. Roy is still, uh, despite Dane's return to the lineup, Roy is still an important part of this team. He was playing out of position. He got burned really bad, and everybody saw it. So uh, not obviously not the best for Roy. But I think he's still a Red Bull. Last but not least, T. Faust writes, Gentlemen, so many issues after Sunday, but I'll stick to this one. Our midfield is struggling. 
As we all know, things started out great with the trio of Dax, Felipe, and Sasha being key to holding possession, improved team defending, and quickly moving the ball up the field. Now, however, their lack of offensive production is troubling. For all the great effort from Felipe, having opponents to cause turnovers, his shooting free kicks and corners have been woeful, and he has not shown the creative spark that he did playing north of the border. Sasha has had some bright spots, but he's displayed a a poor first touch and bad communication with his teammates that have led to ineffective two-yard passes and clogging up the middle. He looked more comfortable pushed out further left. Dax has been good in comparison, though he too struggled on Sunday. Obviously, we could be in much worse shape, but right now this doesn't seem like the lineup and formation that'll bring us the cup. If you each could make one change to the midfield, what would it be? Best Tom Faust. One change to the midfield is certainly tough. Mike Grella actually had some decent moves and some decent chances. I don't know if he's necessarily a 90-minute player. I don't know what that means if you put him up top with Bradley and shift uh, Sasha all the way over to the left, if that's something that would help. But that, that might open up the offense and certainly open up the middle. Of course, what that would do, Tom, is you're going to be losing a bit in possession because those guys do such a good job maintaining possession in the middle. So I think that that definitely is worth a try, even even in the last few minutes of the game or even in the first 15 minutes of the game, just to give it a try and to see how that changes the offense. And, And knowing Jesse Marsh, you're definitely going to see some changes and some experimentation at Seattle, which is a place, frankly, where the Red Bulls are not going to be expected to win. And you can make those adjustments, and you can try. And I'm hoping that Marsh uh, takes the time to actually stretch a little bit and figure out some different strategies for going to teams, because I think it'll be a good laboratory. And of course, folks, it's May. The team is still in playoff position. Uh, they're, They're third in the East. They are currently five points above the red line with two games at hand on Philly, who's right below. So if you're going to experiment, May is a terrific time to experiment. So listen, uh, I know that Dan uh, Dickinson and Dave Martinez would have loved to have been on the show. I hope you've uh, uh, dealt with listening to to my single voice uh, well. I appreciate you listening. We will be back with a larger show next week. I'd like to thank Brian Lewis for joining us, and I'd like to thank you for listening. So uh, I call it a 2-1 Seattle win over the Red Bulls Sunday at 5 p.m. on ESPN2. Or go out and head out onto Brooklyn Bridge Park and check out the viewing party there. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Seeing Red. We'll see you next week. Good night, everybody. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.